0: Greetings and welcome to Surfs Up, the Beach Boys podcast safari. My name is Mark Dylan, author of Fifty Sides of the Beach Boys, and I'm here today with my partner Phil Migliarati.
1: Hello, Phil. Hello, Mark. Good to be with you again, and looking forward to our conversation with uh, another music icon, Dean Torrance. That's going to be great.
0: Yes, very special episode in store. And a very special guest, Dean Torrance, is of course one half of the legendary chart-topping duo Jan and Dean. He's an award-winning designer. Author of the memoir *Surf City*, the Jan and Dean story, and he has been a teammate of the Beach Boys and its members since before the Beach Boys existed, which we'll be talking about in a minute. Uh, along with Jan, he was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2008, and he's here with us today. Welcome,
2: Dean Torrance. Hi, you guys. hope you're in better weather than I am. Oh, well, yeah. I am.
1: I, I'm in Florida, so uh, we're doing okay.
2: Dean, you're in Huntington Beach. Yeah, we and we're we've been having. Looking out the window, and still, still raining. Of course, we have needed rain, so, and I'm a Pisces, so I'm I'm okay with it. But it just <laughs> different to have all this rain, but it's nice.
0: Your Your birthday was five days ago, so belated happy birthday. And it's Mike Love's birthday today, so happy birthday to him. So you guys are Pisces brothers.
2: Yeah, I have something I'm going to send him that that uh, should crack him up. So. I'm waiting, you know, most of the people now that are probably texting him. So I'm going to wait till a little bit later in the day.
0: And, and of course, Surf City was Jan and Dean's biggest hit. It, it was a number one hit. Uh, and, and Phil and I have spoken about the song a couple of times and, and the origins of it. And it's it, it's quite a story in that, you know, you guys became friends with with the Beach Boys and Brian w- was previewing a few of his new songs for you. And you guys wanted Surf in USA but he wanted to keep that for himself. So he gave you guys Surf City. But but maybe in the end, you guys won because you went to number one and he only went to immediately number three.
2: <laughs> uh, well, yeah, <laughs> it, it worked out. But, for, for the, but the, the only reason we told him to maybe give us that song, he wanted to give us a song because he was a songwriter. And he was hoping that somebody else would record his material. At the time, nobody really knew who Brian Wilson was. And the Beach Boys had had a couple of mm, kind of regional hits, I guess you would call them. So for another artist who had already had hits to record his music was a pretty big deal for him. And so when he when he played surfing USA for us and he said that was going to be his next single, we wondered, why would you put out something that you didn't write? Because you are a songwriter. I don't know if he believed that he was that great of a songwriter at the time. I don't know. But we said, you know, that song, you will not be able to take credit for writing it. Cause all you did was change some lyrics from, um, you know, a Chuck Berry song. And you will not be able to publish it. You have a publishing company. It only makes sense that you should record something you wrote for your publishing company. And then you make money not only as an artist, but also as a publisher. And I think the whole idea is for you to have a a successful publishing company, which now is worth like, you know, $50 million. So obviously... uh, Writing something, and putting it in your own publishing makes a whole lot more sense than giving the money to, to Chuck Berry. So you can have this other song, Surf City, that he wasn't finished with and had lost his uh, creative uh, juices for that particular song when they were all focused on Surf in the USA. Which we really did think Surf in the USA was the best of the two. Oh, and I mean, really?
1: That's interesting
0: you, you you guys had been in the game long before Brian. I mean you knew you knew record producing before before he did. Um, you guys brought stuff to the table. I mean, like specifically, you guys used Jan and Dean used the top session musicians in l a and, and and this was introduced to brian and uh, and he ran with that.
2: yeah, well when when we finished at least we finished the track. To Serp City, which was actually Jan produced it and Jan arranged it. It was uh, at that point we knew, okay, this is not so bad. This <laughs> we knew it was good. but Jan did such a great job with the track that we, it, we were, then we were really inspired to you know get to the vocals. But um, the track was was absolutely a spot on track, it had everything, you could hear all the instruments and those are super talented guys. So at that point, we thought, okay, now we'll call that that guy Brian um, and see if he would be interested in helping us do the vocals. Now, we did some other recordings together, but those you know, ended up being Shannadine records. So we called Brian and we said, we're finished with the track to Surf City. Would you like to come and hear it and critique it if you want? And if you'd like, uh, join us in doing the vocals. We're only two guys. We had always wanted to be in a vocal band. We didn't want to be a duo. We had absolutely no interest in being a duo. I've never heard heard that before. That's interesting. When we first started, we had, you know, eight... At least six or eight guys that would come and do doo together. Loved That's vocal true. parts, loved harmonies. And actually, I told this to Dion, because we love Dion and the Belmonts records, too, that we wanted to be Dion and the Belmonts. Well, a waspy version of <laughs> Dion and the Belmonts. <laughs> but our, 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 all of our group members kept you know, coming in and and. Messing around with music for a while, and then they get jobs after school, and or their girlfriends said, "You're spending too much time with those those guys up at Jan's house singing for what purpose?" <laughs> and it, it just kept breaking down as we got busier, and then we graduated from high school, and everybody went different directions, and all of a sudden, we were, Jan and I were looking around, we going, "There's only two of us left." Where'd this vocal group go? (laughs) So we were a duo for a while until, well, kind of until uh, technology caught up and we had other tracks that that we could record on so we could do four part harmonies ourselves. Then it made it kind of fun, but it was still missed the camaraderie of, of other guys. We meet Brian and the rest of the guys. We go, this is the vocal group we've always wanted to be in. So maybe Uh we can do stuff together. We're in school five days a week. And so we don't have a whole lot of time. And so we won't be wasting their time and vice versa. So if we get together just, you know, whenever the mood strikes us, this could work out very, very nicely. So Brian came in. Heard the track. He was blown away by the track, how good it was. He said, wait, how did you do that? We went, what what do you mean? He said, well, who did the tracks? Brian, I'm not even sure if he was aware there were studio musicians. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, or didn't fully understand it. And, And he didn't think that way. I mean, these are his brothers that, that they had been doing music together all these years and they played instruments. We said, Brian, these are studio guys, uh, which were, they were named after kind of many years later as the wrecking crew. I said, you have the best players probably in the country, maybe even in the world. Uh, and they come in and you pay them 200, 200 bucks a piece. And they play, Maybe I think a session, a legal session was about two hours, two or three. And they'll cut two or three tracks in that time. They're so good. They read music. You write. And all you have to do is put the music in front of them. And this track you're hearing was done by these guys. Here's the leader of those guys, Mr. Hal Blaine. He's the drummer. You call him. You tell them you want the guys that played on on the Surf City track. They'll show up. You just tell them where to show up. Your guys are out working. Brian loved, obviously, loved, you mentioned that earlier, uh, creating music. That was a lot more fun to him. It meant a lot more than going out and playing live. Because he's out playing live and he's thinking I could be at home finishing whatever genius record you know that he was going to write next and so at this point he's at home writing and producing so that was a good idea then you can call these guys they'll have the tracks done and then your guys will get off the road they're they're going to be tired they're only going to you know relax for a couple of days and then you, all you have to do is get them together to do vocals because you're a vocal band. Don't waste your guys' energy and time on playing drums or you know guitars or basses. You you have for two hundred bucks a piece. You got these other guys that'll do it, and it's perfect. It's finished. All they have to do is do vocals. And that's what he did,
0: Dean. I'm glad you brought up Hal Blaine. I'm wondering. I mean, since Sadly, we lost him in the last few years. I'm wondering what your recollections were. He was uh, not only a great drummer, but but quite a character as well. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> that's to say the least about being a character. I mean, he was one of those. You know, he started out playing in a burlesque house, and you know, went from there. So, um, so he had that kind of mentality, though. Um, when we met him, he was only playing in studios he didn't have time to go out and jam didn't have time to go play live Um, and in those days those guys would uh, would work five days a week this is the old days you know saturday and sunday is your time off they didn't even play on weekends until this music really caught on and then they were but in the beginning they were available on weekends, and when we needed a band, we would we'd have studio guys playing with us. Because, we, again, we, we were in school five days a week, and you can't have five members of a, of a band that you put together and, sitting at home waiting for you to do something. Only on weekends, that didn't make much sense. So we didn't have a real uh, official touring band because we didn't tour that often.
1: So that was the band on Command Performance, your live album? Basically yeah. studio the studio guys.
2: Yeah. We may have mixed uh, some other people in there, you know, maybe maybe at a, at playing a few of the instruments. But I, I don't remember. But but because we're recording it, yes, if you're going to re- actually record something, you may as well have the guys that were on the, the damn record you know so most of the time we we would get almost every guy that had played on the record and you know including uh glenn campbell and leon russell i mean you've got some good players there that are young yeah. the, the other guys three were, were a couple of years you know they were older than us but they were at that time younger they were finding yet younger musicians were being found and brought in as studio guys. So we always checked the younger guys out too and, and ended up with, you know, people like Glenn and Leon.
0: If I'm not mistaken. Um, so at, at the time of, of Jan's terrible car accident, in 1966, there there was a TV show in the works. I think there were, there were a couple of film projects, but, but I, I seem to recall seeing a little bit of footage of you guys on stage and how Blaine was, was definitely there. And th- this was for the TV show that that was going to go ahead. Right.
2: Uh, yeah. The pilot that we were doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He actually had a speaking part. Yeah, he, he was becoming so famous. Well, at least <laughs> famous in the recording industry. Uh, and he was a character, as you said, so he was a perfect for, for doing that. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess we would have tried to keep that band, you know, in the series if, if we could. Um, but then we have guest spots that, that we had already worked out. And of course the Beach Boys are gonna be guests and they could become the band. And then also because they're using some of the same studio guys, you augment it with uh, you know some real studio guys. Dennis Wilson wanted to play the part of there was kind of reoccurring part because when, whenever we could drive to a a concert, we, we loved driving and we would take, take one of our stingrays and drive. I think our range was about 150 miles to 200 miles. We, we got a kick out of doing that, but that's before GPS and all of that. So whenever you got lost, You'd pull into a gas station, <laughs> and we are going to have this character that we would always run into. It'd <laughs> be the same character, uh, and and every time we went in, and the character and the people that we actually met on the road that way, we came up with some directions by guys saying, "Well, you go, you go by uh, a mile down, and you'll see a barn." I think it's kind of yellowish, and turn right there and then go down to the silo and turn left. We're going, okay, and we're writing it down. So we used to get some really odd and funny directions. So this perfect character would be working in this gas station every time we went in for directions, and they were always so odd that we would get even worse lost. And when that character was going to be Dennis.
1: That would have been very cool. I think and it was called. And
2: a lot, of, and the a lot run, of the times it? he was going to be under the car. So you didn't even see him.
1: Mm, very
2: cool. You know, well, <laughs> awesome. everyone would get used to him, you know, seeing his face. And then sometimes we'd come and his legs would be sticking out. And he would point in certain directions from underneath the car. And Dennis liked that. He thought that was pretty cool.
1: It does sound cool. I and did, we're... We're... The, the world is uh, worse off for that series, uh, never taking shape. But when I viewed some of the, uh, probably the same clip that Mark looked at, I thought you guys were the monkeys before there were the monkeys. I mean, you were combining music and humor, uh, crazy relational situations, like the one you've just described that I'd never heard of uh, just very creative and you probably didn't know what you were doing. And I don't mean that you would, you didn't know the, the extent to which what you were doing had, could have had such a musical and social impact.
2: Uh, I, I think it, well, also, obviously, you know, that there was only, so this was the 60s, probably 65-ish going into 66. I think it was supposed to air in 1966. Um, there were only three networks, you had ABC, NBC, and CBS. That meant almost all of the United States, somebody was watching the TV at night, right?
1: Yeah. I grew up in that time, sure, yeah.
2: So a minimum a minimum amount of folks that would be watching one of those networks was like 20 million. 20 million. Nobody gets that kind of ratings nowadays. Some some of the big sports events. So uh, and then if it was a hit, that'd be up to forty million. You have twenty between twenty and forty million people seeing you once a week, and you sell multi millions of records. Maybe even would start to get into the billions just by <laughs> being, just by being on TV. So it's a pretty cool thing. But we wanted to keep it different. Keep obviously keep the uh, all the comedy in there. Um, more like the Beatles. I mean, we we were watching very closely what they were doing because they also had had the vision, perfect. Um, so I, uh, plus. Part of the industry was, like, especially for us that we weren't out touring, we never did a tour, never been in a tour bus. We'd go out on weekends, pick our favorite cities to work in, go to two nights, come home, go to school five days. During summer, we had a little bit more time. But also during that downtime, uh, not being summer, if we didn't have something to do on on, on a weekend, our management thought you got to get in front of a little bit older audience just to spread it out. So, and they would book us on TV shows, like game shows. We did a couple of game shows <laughs> and, and stuff that was really kind of out of, out of our scope of what yeah we were looking at or cared about. But they were kind of right. You get yourself in front of people who have never heard of you. And, they, and for the most part, everybody thought we were different enough to make the show even that much more interesting. Even if it's like, what's my line? I think we wanted to do that show. Um, so you'd have those kinds of shows. Well, we could do parodies of those shows if we weren't going to. We, we thought doing music every single week was going to get old. So you, uh, so it, the, the story would be you'd go into your manager, your manager and say, oh, well, you need to do this show. And, you know, we're, we're insisting on that you do it for your career. And it would be, you know, what's what's my line? But we would rename it, but make it look like the actual show and call it what's my job or something like that. And you go do those, and then you can have all your buddies, including the monkeys. We would allow the monkeys to do something if they wanted to work with us. That would have been fine. And they would be all the characters on the show. I, many, many years later, maybe 10, 12 years later, happened to find some of the notes, you know, going through stuff, getting rid of stuff. And I found some notes of how this was going to progress. And I looked at it, and I went, This is Saturday Night Live. This is exactly Saturday Night Live that I'm looking at, where we would be doing comedy, doing sketches, doing parodies. Route 66. and We had Corvettes, so we could do Route 66, and you retitle it just kind of of like their title. It would be called Route 69. (laughs) And we would just kind of do all the same things, keep getting lost and going into the same gas station. Dennis would keep being under the car and it would have been so much fun. It would have. It didn't have to be musically, totally musically every single show. But I I can see this fitting in with like
0: laughing and the Smothers Brothers. Like it's, it's, it's of that, of that ilk.
2: Yeah, I, I, people were telling us that we were like the Smothers Brothers who we weren't aware of uh, until until much after we had been told about them. And we looked at them and we said, absolutely, that is the Smothers Brothers. Right. And Jan, who had an IQ of about 180, 185, 190, going to med school, by the way, <laughs> while, while we were making records. Uh, so he was kind of... Um, the the brainy one, you know, and, and I was more of kind of the, well, even I think we did a, a parody of Batman and he was Captain Jan and I was Dean the Boy Blender. So we kind of had that yin and the yang going, yes. which, yes. which would have worked very nicely, a, a little bit different yin and yang. It wasn't quite too illiterate yangy, but enough to to (laughs) have that contrast, which would have been, that would have been fun. I was just listening. Sorry, go ahead, Phil.
1: But Dean, while you're you're saying this, um, thinking of your career, uh, up to, of course, Jan's uh, accident, all this uh, music, tour concerts, uh, TV, uh, but at that point, you were still both full-time students, if I'm correct, and, and not... Did you ever come to the point before uh, Jan's accident changed everything, where you guys said, "You know what? We really need to make a decision here to do this full time," or how, how did? And it's Absolutely. amazing you could.
2: Yeah, how'd if, if we've done the TV show, I, we we wouldn't have had that same kind of time. And when we weren't totally happy with with the the show, because. They, you know, the TV guys really didn't understand what we were doing, particularly, and it was always kind of a fight. We want to do this, and they go, "I've been making TV shows for thirty years," instead so, uh, <laughs> well,
1: longer than there's been TV. <laughs>
2: yeah, and, and, but but then again, I would try and explain to them. So you're doing a show about about whom? What? Who are the characters? Well, you, Jan and Dean then we should be doing the same stuff that we're doing that's put us here and and you're trying to change it. So what sense does that make? But that Mm -hmm. was all, well, okay, just for the pilot, because we know how these advertisers think, you know, some bullshit like that. So you'd have to give in and you'd have to do some things, some stupid things you you would probably never do again. But if it gets sold, once it gets sold, then we go back to we're in charge or we're not showing up. So at the at the last day of shooting, we were in our room and, and you know, the, the uh, we were on we were in Washington, I think, D.C., which, which was the last scene that we did. And we're in our room kind of going, do you think this thing will actually sell? And all these other people are downstairs in the ballroom, you know, just so happy and so excited they think they've they've got a hit and we're upstairs going this thing's really kind of a piece of crap you know (laughs) we would like to do it the way we would like to do it but it's not what they just did and so this decision as you pointed out i don't think we have to worry about the decision this thing's not going to sell unfortunately and then maybe it's okay so we were really not, not really thrilled about it, particularly, nor did we care. But if done right, it would have been a lot of fun. But but we were still at that crossroads. And so we did have that discussion about whether or not we're going to stay in school. But we, we we're, uh, you know, if we'd gotten the show the way we wanted to, to, I think we would have finished up school at least and got got the the degrees that you needed to carry on and then come back to that later
0: you guys are the moniker um the clown princes of rock and roll and you guys really were innovators in in on your records in terms of mixing comedy and, and music you mentioned uh the the album is jan and dean meet batman which i which i listened to today i mean i, I can't really compare it to anything else that that, that was coming out at that time <laughs> and i mean obviously you know, it, it, in some ways, you guys made it quickly because I mean, Batman had just only appeared on TV, and you guys t- turned this around. But I mean, it, it does seem very involved in terms of the characters and the effects and and the and the, the musical bits and all that. And I'm kind of wondering how you were able to do this. I mean, w- w- was there an issue in terms of 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 DC Comics and copyright and all that? Oh, we
2: have we did have we did have permission. To do it but then once we actually recorded it and sent it to them they said oh no um uh, we didn't give you we got we gave you permission to do skits about batman and robin but you can't call yourselves batman and robin and throughout the whole album we were calling each other you know i was robin and he was jan so we had to go back in the studio re-record it and use uh, Captain Jan and Dean the boy blunder so actually we even the, the the first version was even done I think we were trying to get it out right when at the same time that the show aired so that delayed us probably we lost maybe three or four days of recording I have to go back in and basically did the skits you know the same kind of the same way but just all that work just to change the names
0: I mean did did you have the foresight that I mean I I don't know if anybody expected this return of Batman you know to TV to be the phenomenon that it was how did you uh, how did you guys sort of predict that uh, there'd be such an audience for this just instinct
2: really I, I it was obvious to us I mean maybe we were in that age group that that did get this kind of humor because at the colleges, we were getting some really pretty uh, famous comedians coming in and doing their shtick. So we kind of knew approximately what kind of humor would would work um, musically. And we, I don't know. We just kind of guessed at it and guessed right. I think it was a pretty good show.
1: The, the uh, TV show Batman blew up. And I think at one point there it was on twice a week. So you could not, even if you're an old, you know, old fogey adult, you can't be unaware, even if it was something you didn't like. I think one of the things that amazed me about that album, uh, Dean, is uh, n- not just the uh, creativity of the humor, but uh, listening to just the, the music uh, tracks without any uh, wording, uh, you know, singing or talking at all. I mean, it, it was it was just good at every level, and yet, I think there's probably a lot of Jan and Dean fans who barely know that album exists, so I I feel bad that it never really made the radar screen the way it should have.
2: Well, a a, a lot of this has to do with the record company, and if the record company doesn't really support it, um, they just don't... Honestly, they just don't know what to do. They hardly know what to do, even musically, let alone throw them something like this. It's not, not anything. Although they... that particular record company had done the chipmunks so hmm. they kind of got that kind of not totally musical but uh humor ish but for us uh, they they just really didn't get it and they just really didn't promote it or uh as well as they should have i worked with harry nielsen on on the point um if you ever did you ever see the point I did not. No. Well, then let's not talk about it. Then. I, no, I was going to ask you about Harry Nilsson anyway, so
0: please go let, on, let yeah. us talk
2: about it. Go ahead. Well, I'll be glad to talk about that. Um, Harry had, had an idea for uh, doing an animated... Uh, Harry was was very much into politics, and he was always trying to talk me into you know, talking about politics. And I just didn't want to talk politics at the time. So but sure. I learned a lot and and later you know we became very involved in politics and things uh, he he was, he was a great guy we I really miss him
0: and so you cover one of his songs if we could talk now about um this new archival release you have called Teammates so he has this little ditty from uh, late 60s early 70s called Buy My Album which is great. And you cover it, you, you change it to buy our album. This was recorded by you in 1985. So can you tell us about that?
2: Uh, Yeah. Um, as a graphic designer, which I was for 12 years, 13 years, I designed most of Harry's album covers. So I was around his music and I would be sometimes get, Fortunate to be at the studio when he was doing some vocals. I mean, he arranged all the instruments and all that stuff. And so, when he was doing vocals, uh, sometimes I would be in the studio and he had this idea for for a promo for this next record that was coming out. And called the song is called Bye Bye Album. And he sat down and he played it and he said, come and sing it with me. You know, you sing this part and, and I'll sing this part and so it's my album you'll hear me singing and then he would cut in you know, one of the tracks that was probably going to be a single and you'd hear just maybe a couple of bars of that and then it comes into and you'll hear me singing and you put another track so at least you'd preview maybe three of the major songs on that particular album so I thought Many years later, and unfortunately, he had passed away by that time. That uh, I wanted to resurrect that that song, um, and sing it over because I couldn't find RCA had the had the tapes for the other one, and um, I did my own version of it. So I buy and, and buy the album, try the album, hope you liked the album. I think we had a bunch of different versions because <laughs> it was just so much fun to sing. So I. Did give him credit because obviously he wrote the song.
0: And this is credited to the legendary Mass Surfers, which is one of the projects that you've been involved with. Now, wasn't that, so if that's from 1985, wasn't that a, a name that you were using with um, Bruce Johnston and Terry Melcher in the 70s?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I just resurrected it because I, I thought it was funny. It's, it's a it's a clever clever little name, I thought.
0: And was this going to be part of a, of a bigger album?
2: I think so. You know, there was so many people having so many different ideas. That, that, that was one of the ideas, yes. Uh, Terry Melcher was going to be involved in it. So Terry and Bruce and, and myself, we were, we were going to be called California, I think. Or something.
1: California music.
2: California music, yeah.
1: On e- Equinox Records. I remember when that was happening. And it was just exciting because it was a bit of a dormancy and beach boy stuff. And certainly Jan and Dean had not put new stuff out. So to know that you were involved with that, those kind of cohorts uh, trying to do new music uh, was. well. we do have two of very those exciting.
2: We have two of those songs also on teammates. Cause uh, I think. Yeah. Just,
0: just keep it up and Lovelace.
2: Yeah. Lovelace. So I, I don't know. Terry thought that was a good idea. <laughs> Is it Linda Lovelace? I right. guess what he was inferring to. And Terry also had the idea of the track was so good that we took this, we did both songs are actually the same track. But the way it's done, you, you don't really recognize that to be so. But that was innovative. I think it was because of his budget. Um, Equinox was going to be distributed uh, through, I think RCA, So I remember. And working with Harry, Harry just disliked RCA. He couldn't wait to get off that label. I, he had some of the same problems that, that Jan and I had on on Liberty, that it just wasn't a great company for pop music.
0: Phil, you mentioned uh, the the time of that dormancy in, in Beach Boys stuff. So, Dean, you were doing stuff with with Bruce, who was out of the band at that point, and Terry. But but you were also doing stuff with Brian. I, I distinctly remember a photo in um, David Leaf's book, "The Beach Boys and the California Myth," of you in the studio with Brian. It looks like it's about 1972, if I would guess. And, and Marilyn Ravel and, and Diane are there. So I'm wondering what, what kind of stuff you were doing with Brian at that time.
2: That may have been. Uh, the vegetables I I re-recorded uh, vegetables, and um, he allowed me to do that. I asked permission, and uh, I love the song. I think his record company didn't particularly care about the song, so he was not going to release that as a single. So I said, "Do you mind if I redo it?" And I had a, a couple of record companies that were more than happy to do anything that that I would. Do just on my own, so I did. Um, I did vegetables, and I had the you know the regular kind of the regular uh, uh, wrecking crew guys. We added a couple of instruments on it, which um, which his was mostly acapella, so I remember. Am I right? I don't. I can't remember. they all well. I guess that
0: there there was the smile version that was was a pretty big production, and then the smiley smile version really? was pretty oh. bare.
2: Yeah, the smiley side did the smiley smile one, but I had Joe Osborne on bass and Larry Nectall on on keyboard, and they're the guys that did uh, "Bridge Over Troubled Water." How that starts out with uh, just all piano—that's Larry Nectall. So I had the guys that did,
1: yeah,
2: um, did their, their little that uh, piano and and bass thing on "Troubled," uh, whatever the name of that song is. Bridge over troubled waters, and they and then juxtaposition. They're playing on vegetables. <laughs> well,
1: it's a, it's a song totally suited to your type of humor, Dean. Um,
2: of course, it, it was, yeah. and it was Brian Wilson. I mean, yes. he was that innocent in those days that he could kick the ball and in his tenure would fly right off. <laughs> yeah, I just love that line. Uh, that sold me the song right there. And it reminded me of Brian, so the, it was kind of something for Brian, you know.
0: And this was done. This is a great name for the psychedelic era: the Laughing Gravy.
2: Yeah, uh, Laughing Gravy. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Jan and I loved Laurel and Hardy. You know, part of part of our comedy. We love. Yeah. Them. And uh, there was a a little dog in in one of their movies, and the name of the dog was Laughing Gravy, <laughs> and he was stuck out in the snow. And you know they wanted to sneak him into this house, uh, but it, it was an apartment of some sort, and the landlord, you know, didn't allow animals. So it was Laughing Gravy. So the whole show was about uh, getting Laughing Gravy into the house, and they did all shtick and. That was that was a fun character. so always liked the name.
0: I mean, fans love vegetables. They love smile and all that stuff. but you had you guys had the foresight to to
2: do it, do
0: this cover very very early on um, I'm wondering you'd been around the beach boys, obviously everybody knows that. And I could see behind you, you've got the beach boys party album. Everybody knows that you sing on Barbara and you know, you provide the falsetto with Brian, I think a little bit more so than Brian. What, what about during that smile era? So that's a couple of years later. Were you, were you around the band at that point? Were you around Brian for when he was doing that kind of stuff?
2: Um, yeah, I was. And I was a part of the, um the team that uh, was put together to get Brian out out of the house and away from recording and all that and go for either running and or basketball. He played we played basketball a lot because one of the trainers was uh, Stan Love, Mike's brother who played, you know, actually played professional basketball and one of his friends a guy named Rocky so the three of us I mean four of us with well, the three of us would take Brian out get him to you know exercise and stuff so yeah I was I was around as much for that kind of stuff than, than I than I was with uh, music so yeah I, I was involved in some of his music from that era but not not as much as earlier
0: well that so you're talking about is that during the Eugene Landy era that you were helping Brian get fit?
2: yeah, that was just before gene landy okay and then and Gene Landy was brought aboard and and he got rid of us
1: mm. Dean, I love the uh title the concept of this album uh the these uh you know sixty five to eighty five the work that you've done, and uh we'll keep going through some of these songs, but uh, i I just keep thinking. How did this idea hatch? Is this something you've thought of for decades and finally it came to be? As I know David Beard's involved here. Uh, did he come with the idea? What, what got this uh, stuff pulled out of the archives and now onto music form?
2: It was mostly the guys at Omnivore and David Beard. I, I, don't, I don't try and get anything I've ever kind of wanted to do. Nobody's interested. And a lot of time doing it, and now I'm to the point I don't care anymore. When I tried to sell you folks uh, the carpenters, you said they were, they were, you know, yeah. that music would never sell. And right uh, when, when you said another client of mine, Steve Steve Martin, I was told that the record company that guy's not funny, and you know they give me back uh, the you know the promo tapes that we had done, Steve. So. I don't know what it is. I'm not a good salesman, obviously. So now I let somebody else think about it and then they come say, do we think you can, I have all the pieces. Yeah, I can do that. But I'm not going to let them come to you. (laughs) I'm
1: glad they did. I'm glad they did. And one of the, you know, this is probably a question I should ask at the end and we're not really there yet, but uh, how much is left? I mean, uh, is there a whole is there a whole bunch more? Did you pick yeah. the best of the litter, so to speak? Probably. Or
2: Actually, I did have, which I think Omnivore got a little nervous about, um, I uh, kind of co-produced the Carpenters mm. and have uh, at least four masters that we had done with, with them uh, in Joe's Garage, being Joe Osborne. And all the you know all the usual suspects, uh, wrecking crew guys, would come to Joe's just to hang out and jam because they they never got to work on their own any ideas of their own. So whenever they were itching to do just some jamming, they would call up uh, Joe Osborne and hang out and have some beers and eat some hot dogs and just jam and uh, the the carpenters showed up one day and they had just heard from friends of friends that there was a studio at this (laughs) (laughs) and uh, just showed up and at the time just joe and i were there we were working in the garage because that's where the studio was and he had to actually go to the front door and here's these you know brother and sister saying that they you know did music (laughs) i said oh okay and then joe who's just a a laid-back country guy kind of said well you know i'm I'm, I'm right in the middle recording something at the moment which which was kind of my time and i had overheard it and i came to the front door and and, you know met them and, and i said yeah you know let them, you know, you know they're here. Why don't you let them come on in? So it's okay with him if it was okay with me. I didn't care. I brought them in, and holy crap, <laughs> it was all there. Yeah, I mean, great voice. Uh, the you know the the boy. Later, I Richard. found out that was Richard, and of course, Richard. Know, played great piano and could arrange things. He could write music. And then Karen sat down at the drum. We had a drum set there. and She sat down at the drums and went, holy shit. You know, <laughs> a chick playing drums. And she's quite good. And her phrasing was perfect. Her voice was perfect. Everything. Although this was still the late 60s. And there was nothing like that on the radio. So unfortunately, I took those we ended up doing at least four pretty much finished masters and I schlepped them around to to the people I knew and everybody passed. Nobody nobody liked it. And they said that, you know, it's nice, but there's you know, look at the charts. There's nothing like that on the charts. That's the way they were. You know, I, yeah. I, all through music there was always This is the handbook Um, with Steve Martin. They told me, oh, you know, country, comedy, comedy music doesn't sell. It was not music. Comedy doesn't sell records anymore. It says so right here in the handbook. (laughs) Oh, okay. So when the Beatles got turned down, what what page was that on? Yeah. It it turned uh, English to English. Did you have to reinsert the page there? and you maybe you're going to have to reinsert this because there's might be a comedy album that it would sell why don't you you know why don't you try it? it doesn't cost you that much but anyway so i got turned down with both yeah, you know, the carpenters and and with uh uh steve martin
0: i would say the carpenters are, are hotter now than ever i mean even people that disparage them said oh this is just like soft rock easy listening now have a lot of respect for for the musical quality of their stuff so i mean uh i I would think people would be dying to hear these four uh masters that you're talking about
2: well i had i had hoped that they they would uh, go on this uh on this teammates project but
1: Dean, as I'm, you know, I'm 74, so I, I lived through this as a, you know, teenager and college student in in real time, and we didn't know any of this stuff that you were involved in back then. You know, the story was pretty much and Dean, and then it, it would, most of us wouldn't have even heard of Save for a Rainy Day till some decades later. Um, just love hearing more of your story and how you were so active and not just uh, singing with a partner, but production and uh, all sorts of stuff. So it's very cool to hear this stuff.
2: Oh, I, I'm I'm honored that you do. Um, well, I guess there was a lot come to think of it. I guess I was involved in a bunch of stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you were well, very active. Some of it, you more,
2: did. some of it didn't, but. And this, well, it, it,
0: this CD is a testament to that. But I want to say, I mean, I'm I'm younger than Phil. I'm 54. But I remember very well Dead Man's Curve, the TV movie. I mean, I was nine years old, but everyone was talking about that after it was on CBS. <laughs> like this introduced the story to people. I mean, I was a Beach Boys fan already, but this introduced me to Jan and Dean. Uh, tell me a bit about your thoughts, looking back on this TV movie about, about the story of you guys. What you think of it as as a film, and and what it did for you guys at the time.
2: Um, oh my God, it it changed my life dramatically. Uh, doing the film, uh, I I knew the I knew the director, and I trusted the director. And the director did pretty much. I wrote at least half of it. And the director was fine with it. He wanted to keep it as authentic as, as we possibly could, which I believe, you know, that it was as authentic as you could make it. And it had all the elements in it. And then it did have Mike and Bruce were, were kind enough to do, you know, do a little cameo uh, in the movie. I asked everybody else and, they were all busy doing something or i forgot but i made sure everybody got asked so they wouldn't say later well how come mike and bruce did it you should have had dennis under a car dennis would have (laughs) i told him he was going to be in the really big movie and he was all for that and then when i asked him to do if he wanted to do this thing he said are you you couldn't afford me (laughs) okay (laughs) I don't know why he didn't do it. Well, probably because Mike was there, but, um, and I was kind of the only guy that could kind of travel into both camps, either, you know, Mike's camp or, or Dennis's. And yeah. you know, I, was, I was I was very fortunate. I could kind of see both sides, the thing, and I hope to not get, you know, shot in the crossfire or something, but it all, all worked.
1: And you got very involved with Mike, uh, the Mike and Dean uh, Spring Break part, uh, concerts, and uh, some of the songs even on the uh, Teammates album. Uh, did you? What What made you and Mike connect so uh, compatibly? It's what what, what, what drew We're you together.
2: We're for fellow Pisces. We always got along. Yeah, and then if you look at it. Dennis had a lot to do with us getting together because Mike was having all sorts of difficulties with Dennis and wanted changes and wanted to see how they could either help Dennis get, you know, get the help that he needed. And, you know, Carl was kind of the spokesperson. Carl was, you know, always trying to keep everybody happy and playing the middle ground and wasn't decisive you know about about dennis and mike just kind of i think wanted to show the beach boys well i can go out and i can do stuff without you just given that little zinger yeah i was having trouble with jan at the time this was after jan's accident so jan was he was uh handicapped tremendously And, um, and he had uh, drug issues and I guess Dennis had some drugs and at least alcohol issues. So Mike and I, when we got together and I ditched Jan for a whole year, I told Jan that I wasn't, unless he went to therapy and, and got himself, you know, back to being sober. Um, I wasn't going to work with him again. And he thought i like dennis would you can't work without me and he almost said that you can't be jan dean I, well you'll see and all of a sudden mike and i are together and it freaked jan out i don't know if it bothered dennis or not but the rest of the band saw that mike had other ways to perform and be out there and it kind of pressed the issue and forced them to all go to the a table, sit down, and figure out how to put it back together again. And once it was put back together again, then and he was super busy with reforming and retooling uh, the Beach Boys. And I'm really happy for him, you know. And it's worked out now that he has control of of the whole thing. He's really a good marketer. He understands oh, yeah. really good the fans and. Um, Yeah. And he was the lead singer on all of stuff.
1: Sure. Was there ever a time, Dean, when, you know, as accidents, you know, Jan not being able to form perform the stuff that you are mentioning with Dennis and turmoil on the beach was any discussion of at any point of you ever becoming uh, one of the Beach Boys? I mean, I don't mean that as an insult to you. Jan and Dean are formidable, but I just wonder if there was ever any discussion about connecting in a greater way.
2: Not, not really, but Bruce Johnston to this day says honestly, I mean almost every time I see him when he's with them because yeah. I do work with them um, at least three or four times a year uh, Bruce will still kind of lean over to me and say you know, the band hasn't really told me I'm officially in the band Yeah <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I lo- that's a story I'd, okay. I'd love to have uncovered sometime.
2: <laughs> and I said, say that's the way they operate. So I feel like I'm, uh, I'm a member. But good. You
1: know, well, I, I think could not your fans not, feel that
2: I couldn't do twenty nights in a row, or ten, or fifteen, whatever Mike does. I mean, he's he's a Superman. I, I don't know how he does it. Yeah, I'm not used to that. I, I'm, you know, even in the Jan and Dean days, as I said earlier, never did a tour. We were never interested in being in a tour bus, and Mike's in a tour bus uh, half a year or
1: more. I just saw him in uh, Sarasota. B- beautiful tour bus.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it's a very nice tour bus. In our day, <laughs> they didn't have quite tour buses like that. Um, I think last year I was in the in in that bus, and we we drove. I went from the hotel to the venue, and when we pulled up to the venue, I I, I was sitting next to Bruce and said, hey, Bruce, this is the longest ride I've had in a tour bus, <laughs> and it's honest truth.
0: You talked about touring and 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 Mike being such a great marketer, and I mean, he was really taken with the success of of the Dead Man's Curve movie. Didn't he basically approach you
2: guys afterwards and say, "Hey, you know, everyone's talking about Jan and Dean." No, oh, exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. I I didn't know whether or not that would translate into you know resurrecting our careers at all, and I wasn't even really sure if Jan was well enough to be able to do that, but. You know I, I kept an open mind to it, but i I didn't go out and pursue it. My phone rang a little bit, and you know, i i I've worked on building my own business for eleven, twelve years, and just to all of a sudden say, and I really needed to be there five to five and a half, six days a week um and I was used to that and used to making my own decisions did I really want to get back in the music business as I was ambivalent about that, but it was Mike that started calling me from the road going, damn, you know, uh, you know." we used to get asked about, Jan- in, in interviews, we used to get asked about Janadine from time to time, but he said now, like, 80, 90% of the people that we talk to in interviews ask about Janadine, whether or not Janadine will ever you know, be able to play music again, blah, blah, blah. And he kept poking me, saying, you got to do this. you got to do this. And then I, okay. And then I hang up and go back to my graphic design work. And then a week later, call me back again. It's, it, it, it's amazing. you got to do this, got to do this. And finally, he said, we're going on a little tour in, a, in about a month, month and a half. We'll have our own airplane. I've never been on a private plane before. He said, we have our own airplane. We we're doing just it's a spring break thing. So we're out for you know ten days, I think it was. Yeah, but that you know, that's uh, Pitts- Pittsburgh was one of the first stops, and that we we're playing at Three River Stadium. Wow. And then another stadium, I think Maya High Stadium in, in Denver and you know at least three stadiums, another big huge arenas flying around in a private plane. I said, okay, <laughs> let's, let's, let's try it. <laughs> See if let's it works. Uh, I got Jan to agree to it. And off we went. People Magazine came along because it was such an interesting story. And for the Beach Boys to be in People Magazine, they were getting as much out of it uh, too as well. So it just, it worked out perfectly. And man, it was so much fun. It worked so well. I thought, okay, we'll put together a band and we'll we'll give it a shot.
0: What what kind of state was Jan in?
2: Relatively good at the time. Um, he still had some medical issues. Um, he had what's called aphasia, where it, it rec- Remembering words and how to put put actions to words was a little bit difficult for him. But singing, that's like a stutterer. Uh, somebody that stutters they didn't, when they sing, they don't stutter. So that's another part of the brain. That side of the brain was relatively okay. But he limped noticeably. His right arm didn't work really well. But the people who had seen the movie knew what the story was, and they were all very inspired to see him do a show. So it all worked. all worked out really pretty well. Um, I got 20 years. We got another extra, at least 20 years out of it. And we got to play stadiums ourselves and play. We play a lot of really big stuff. I, I didn't, I didn't want to play clubs. I didn't want to do, you know, small stuff. I wanted to do big stuff or, or don't do it at all. But I didn't want to get into that typecasting of somebody making the big comeback and having to play some little dump somewhere. Jane, so did the kind of green a, book help at all? Um it all helps. To what degree, I I don't know. But it was yeah. fun to have uh, somebody that's that's you know, a real media person and a guy who's written some very successful books. And the fact that we just let him get on stage and and give him a fake guitar was pretty odd to me, but it was good odd.
1: Well, one of the things I remember about reading that book was just how uh, he, from my point of view, uh, gave you a big thumbs up for just the way you related to Jan uh, in his situation. That made me uh, just, made me think very highly of you.
2: Well, thank you. It, to this day, you know, I, I still play with my guys, and most of them were in that band. To this day, Jan passed 2004. To this day, we say, how did we do it? Because mm-hmm. it was so difficult to do this. Yes. Um, but somehow we all put together as a team. That's what I'm always trying to talk about. It does take a team. Without those guys... And, and how good they were and, and what good guys uh, uh, on the road. Uh, they were perfect. They would help whenever I needed help. They were right there to help either me or Jan. Um, everybody was there to, you know, put the effort in to make it as good as we could possibly make it. You, you currently tour as Jan and Dean's Beach Party? Uh, that's one of the titles. I, I usually let the buyer pick out a, a title. Um, sometimes it's a beach party or sometimes it's just, uh, you know, Dean with the Dean Torrance uh, or the Surf City All-Stars. We're using that name a lot. So Surf City All-Stars featuring, you know, Dean Torrance. So we got a couple of different names that, that if a buyer thinks one's better than the other, you know, it's OK with me.
1: And you've probably mentioned most of their names, but do you want to quickly just the, we talk about this team, this band that's kind of been with you? Uh, who are some of those guys, if you would like to share that? Uh,
2: kind of the first guy I I signed was a guy named Gary Griffin, and Gary had yeah, been well,
1: well known now
2: had been fired by the Beach Boys after oh. they, after they gave this. Was, Way early on, when Dennis was still around and, and, and Mike, and I think Mike either hired him and/or Brian, Mike, and and the band was in one of those things where they each guy wanted to have input into who they would hire, and Gary kind of got caught in between. Dennis didn't like him, and kind of everybody else did, and then Gary, unfortunately Gary had to play closer to dennis than anybody else and dennis was always you know bad mouthing him and and it was very uncomfortable and at a certain point they just said you know we we have to let you go but you know thanks and good luck well i picked him up and he's been with me for over 40 years now he part-time since i'm not working as much he is pretty much uh He's a one of the starters on on uh, Brian's Brian's team. So good for him. He plays with me when I can when he's available, and then plays with Brian when when he's available to do that. Um, and then I hired a guy named I think next one was Chris Farmer, who mm-hmm. was a 20 year old that uh, was in LA. He came from Michigan. And just looking to do music. And he was um, very proficient at playing and singing and, and writing. And he just did an audition for us. And I was looking for people that could sing. You know, um, Matter of fact, I thought the vocals were even more important than the actual musicianship. But he did both really well. I picked him up. He's still with me. Now each one of these guys have gone back and played with the Beach Boys. Chris was with the Beach Boys throughout the '90s. I think replaced Carl, Carl's uh, vocal parts, and then came back. So uh, it's all big happy family.
1: One of the guys I think of when I saw you live this is 25 years ago, maybe in the Chicago suburb. Philip Bardowell. Oh, was- Phil. One of the band, and he'd let me come back in the green room with you guys and just be a a mouse on the wall kind of thing, Was listening to what was going on. It was fun.
2: Phil's still the the strongest vocalist, I think, in the band, and they're all good. I mean, if Chris can do Carl's parts, you know, he's pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, So uh, Phil went, he joined the Beach Boys. I think he was with them for about a year year and a half and then he was working you know the beach boys like to work a lot he was away from home and his marriage uh disintegrated and then he thought you know i can't work this much and keep a family so he quit the band and came back to me so <laughs> that's I've, great i've played with all these guys including gary and um Randall Kirsch was, you know, part of it all too, as well. So it's a, it's it is a really neat kind of team, and and we all feel like we're all family.
0: I see you've got a date later this year on the Malt Shop Memories cruise, and you've done a few of those before. I'm wondering what are those like.
2: That's one of the most fun things. I, I like that one of the. That's, well, that's a show I'm always looking forward to doing. Cause he get a whole cruise too. I'm too cheap to, you know, <laughs> I, I've never, I've hardly ever stayed in a hotel that wasn't paid for by somebody. Else. <laughs> <laughs> <Smart>. <laughs> so, so to go out on a cruise and have, and my guys love it. It's free food. <laughs> they can go and eat as much as they want anytime they want. So they love to do that cruise too. But do you and, just
1: get inundated by the, the fans who have you captive? I mean, you yeah, can't jump they, overboard.
2: Captive, that's, that's, that's the key word. Uh, the band members can kind of work their way through the fans. They don't get pestered quite as much as the headliners. Yeah. But um, um, that's why the tickets are so expensive, is because it's all people our age that do have the income, Uh, to go on this cruise, and they know they're going to be running into their favorite artists probably, you know, at at lunch at at, uh, the buffet and or in in hallways or the elevator, and just for that opportunity is worth a ton of money to, to the cruise lines, because they're getting something very, very, very personal and and a good time and the fans most of them have done the cruise multiple times and they know to be respectful and they know their limits and they very rarely uh, become obnoxious or something
1: that's and good to it's
2: hear a, it's a good group and and I love to do it. Al Jardine's doing it for the first time this year and I normally do it every other year so and Mike just did one. No, Mike's done a few of them, and and then he decided, you know he's Mike. I can do my own. So, so they have their own crews, which uh, sounds sounds like fun. Um, I have this relationship with the malt shop guys, so I don't I'm, I'm not going to do probably won't do Mike's if he asks me. So far, he I think he knows that I don't, don't want to mess up that relationship. And I introduced uh, Dion, Dion's one of the key malt shop guys, and Dion showed up, so Jan and D- the, the Jan and Dean show and the Beach Boys played on the same cruise uh, a couple of times. And this one time I was sitting in, in their, well it's the same dressing room for everybody, but each act gets one night to themselves. So I'm in their dressing room. Um I'm gonna do my usual guest thing at the end. And I'm sitting in the dressing room just eating their food and stealing their drinks and putting them in my little bag to take <laughs> the fiber. Just they they never take the stuff and I don't I don't want the cruise lines to think they wasted all that stuff, so I will take all that. And Dion walks in and he said Oh, Dean, what's what's up? And I said, I'm waiting to do a little guest thing with the Beach Boys. And I said, have you ever met the guys? And he said, no. He'd never met the Beach Boys. Oh, wow. Said, Come with me. Come with me when I when I go out. And you oh, I, I don't do that. I, I, I don't feel right about doing that. I said, no, honestly. And he asked, you don't have to ask them? Hell no. Come on, you be my guest. <laughs> and Barbara Ann is in in my, the set that I do, of course. Yeah, so absolutely. that do wop I'm going obviously he knows the doo-op songs, I was pretty sure everybody knows Beach voice songs, but at least he knows knows that doo-op song. So I said, come on, do do Barbara Ann with me. And I, I'm I'm literally pulling him up the stairs onto the stage. And just as I I'm getting, you know, past the curtains, he I like, pulled his hand out. And he said, you know. I thought, okay, so I went and did, did a couple of songs. I was doing like four songs, I think. So I did two-ish, and then I told Bruce, that's Dion right there, and I'm I'm going to bring him out, okay? He said, sure. So I go. Mike didn't know what was coming, and he was yakking at the audience. I go, and I brought, brought Dion. Out. Well, the audience loves Dion. I mean, Dion's one of their all-time favorites, New Yorkers mostly. I bring him out. The place goes crazy, and Mike's going yeah, you know, somebody taking their clothes off or something, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. and and out comes hopefully none of us because it's not a pretty thing. I bring Dion. I say Dion, come here, and I bring him up to Mike. who's center stage, of course. Said Mike, Dion. And they they shake hands, and Dion, I'm a big fan. And the audience is loving it. That the all the. All the act, like three acts are on that stage at the same time.
1: Yeah. Dion
2: stayed, Mike made him put him right up front with him. I went off with Bruce and let, let uh, Dion sing with Mike. And it was really, really a cool moment because Dion still sings really, really, really. He's a great vocalist.
0: The connection there is that on the Beach Boys Party album, they cover Ruby Baby.
2: Yep. Yeah. So we all know one another's songs and appreciate each other's songs. And I'm sure he knew that too. And uh, had we had some time to rehearse something, we probably would have rehearsed. uh, But that was one of the cruises that the Beach Boys came in in the uh, kind of halfway through the cruise and and then played uh, the day that they arrived, came in and played and then took the cruise ship another three days i think so we didn't have time to rehearse anything with uh with dion but would have loved to have done that Mm. maybe someday
0: dean thank you so much for being on the show today uh the name of the album is the teammates 20 years of making music 1965 1985 love hearing your stories hope to have you
2: back again soon i'm here you know where I am. I spend a lot of time up in my, this is my little uh, home office, uh, about maybe a mile and a half from the beach. I can at least feel the ocean breeze and people cooking schmoors on the on the beach at night. It's very nice. So anyway, I love my little space here, and that's where I am um, five days a week, at least. Well, well you're more than welcome. To keep, Thank you for talking uh, to
1: us, Dean. We appreciate it
2: thanks mark thanks phil
0: and thank you for everybody out there listening check us out on facebook come back next time and we'll do it again